All right, Salt City Hoops listeners, I need you to know three things about the Utah Jazz's playoffs. They start in, from the time of this recording, about 36 hours. They're really, really important. And number three, we here at Salt City Hoops are going to talk about them, write about them, have fun with them, enjoy them. Um, To do all that, we bring you another edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. Um, For that, I am Dan Clayton, the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, um, here to get you ready for what should be an invigorating or at the very least really important playoff season for the Utah Jazz. Joining me to break that down is a man who you probably know if you've listened to previous Salt City Hoops podcasts in recent years, a man who probably is taking a break from doing somebody's taxes right now and a man who for much of my childhood slept at the exact same latitude and longitude as me just with four feet higher elevation it's uh it's my big brother ken clayton how's it going ken good and you're a hundred percent right on the skipping out on taxes to record this you should yeah i mean you're like ken's a real ass accountant um not like the kind who does people's individual taxes but he can do that too and often does and hence the joke um yeah no I do, actually, I'm, I'm basically just blowing off my taxes and mom's taxes and at mom's this point. right and while you say i am a real ass accountant i do not, the rumors are not true i do not do any proctologist's taxes <laughs> well you know good to have dreams good to have goals good 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 market to expand into later you're you're young and you got your eyes on the prize um, yeah, mine are actually mostly done. So the phone call I usually place to you at, you know, 9.58 on whatever night they're due. Um, don't get me wrong. I will still bug you in the, in the coming four days, but, um, but first things first, let's, uh, before we get into my deductions and my tax credits and my, all those things, let's talk about the Utah jazz who are about to start a playoff series with a very good team but maybe without a very good player. Um, so, so yeah, what do we know? What do we know about Luca's status? I think um, it gets more and more ambiguous every minute. Um, Shams Charania reported earlier today that it, that he is not expected to play. And then somebody locally, I don't remember the name, uh, wrote a story and tweeted out a story that said he has actually not been ruled out for game one. Luka Doncic has not been ruled out for game one. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. And, and, by, and by the way, Ken, I'm also not discarding the possibility that maybe the Mavs are just taking these few days to just screw with the Jazz. And maybe oh. they do know if he's going to play or if he's not going to play. And this is just a way to sort of um, smoke and mirrors the Jazz into game planning one direction or or forgetting to game plan the other or, or whatever, because no, nobody knows what's up with the Slovenian playmaker. No, I mean, for sure. I think there's definitely, there's absolutely some gamemanship, gamesmanship going on. Um, but yeah, we, so we saw, you, you mentioned those two reports that, but there was also a report, I believe today, I believe it was Tim McMahon who had taken some video and, and alleged in video that Luca did no on-court work today. Now, no on-court work on Thursday is no, isn't a guarantee he won't play on Saturday, but it, it does kind of, it makes me lean that way a little bit, but yeah, as far as what we know, actually know very little. And I'm expecting that the jazz don't know much more. Although I do think there's a, there's a bit of a concern, at least at the league level, just the, I tweeted out the other day about the weird series schedule that the jazz and Mavs have. It feels to me like, and I could be wrong, that the league is, worried that he won't be around for a little while because we get this we get this uh all three saturday schedule no sunday games we get they've only released two games so or three games so far that will be televised on nba tv and two of them are in this series so clearly i feel like this is a back burner series for the league which is odd because i think luca's kind of a big name and and so, you know, take that for what it is. But I do think the league is a little concerned that they're not going to have Luca. Yeah. I So my take on this, and I know you have thoughts and responses to some of the narratives that are out there. Um, I, I still believe now we know, we know 
like it's been well documented that this is a basketball team that can't the jazz um that is the jazz are a basketball team that can often um get disconnected easily um talent wise they're really good there are also times where things get a little bit tough and they just fall apart like a house of cards um so any analysis has to you know keep that in mind but in terms of just who's a better basketball team i i really feel like the jazz should win should being the operative word should win a series against yeah. the mavericks either way but obviously whether Doncic is there is um is important because it informs as to what kind of series the jazz are going to have to play to win oh for sure i mean there is going to be an absolute difference you're going to be, you know, having a very Luca-centric game if Luca is playing, and you're going to have probably a lot more motion and a lot more, you know, a lot more things you got to keep an eye on if he's not. I mean, you're going to have to keep an eye on those things anyway because uh, he can get a pass about anywhere he wants. But um, it's it's going to be the the focus is going to be on him and what and what he can reach versus. What I think you just have to have more of a broad focus on everybody when you're dealing with you know a team without him. Well, that, and I think, um, I think their strengths are very, are very different. Um, yeah. in fact, I, I did something for the salt city seven on Monday where I look, I, I took a look at Dallas's lineups and I took out Porzingis, who they traded in on February 10th. And I took out Tim Hardaway jr. Who is ostensibly out for the season. He hasn't played for, you know, since December, I think, I think literally since new year's Eve. So, um, so taking, so all of these numbers I'm about to share are with those two guys already pre-factored out, um, with those two out and Doncic on the Mavs have been plus five exactly per hundred possessions on the season per cleaning the glass with those two out and Doncic off they're plus 4.5 or sorry, plus 4.7, which means, you know, macro quality and obviously, like, there's some context to that, right? Like, the no Doncic minutes are usually going to be against opposing teams' benches, all of that stuff. Right. But just the macro quality has been similar. Um, <clears throat> the the pro Doncic lineups um, without Porzingis and, and Hardaway have been elite offensively and, like, okay-ish on defense. And the other ones have been elite defensively and okay-ish on offense. So I do think that, you know, if Doncic isn't there, it's not, it's not a situation. I mean, the Jazz fans should know this, right? Because we saw this play out last year when, when suddenly there was no Kawhi Leonard and it changed the way the Clippers were going to play. And suddenly the Jazz didn't really know what to scheme for. And then they solved some of it and then they unsolved it and whatever, like, the Mavs without Doncic are still going to be hard. They're just going to be hard in a different way. And I think specifically it's going to mean you're going to see a lot more minutes with plus defenders like Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith. And um, and yeah, I mean, again, the, the numbers say that like their quality pretty much holds up in the post-Porzingis era, um, even, when, even when the all-star Luka Doncic sits down. Yeah. So one of the narratives I've heard out there um, as we talk, as, as, as jazz fans, jazz Twitter have talked about whether Luca will play or not, what there's a, there's a fear out there that I went to look at a little bit, which was how that is, well, the claim was that the jazz have played really poorly in the non Luca minutes. So just, just off the top of your head, or maybe you've looked at something adjacent to this too. And this is, so this is specific. You mentioned overall non-Luca minutes versus all opponents, but against the jazz, what's your gut? Is that a, is that an accurate or an inaccurate statement? Um, I don't know how to parse that because again, like, so, so there were basically two games where we saw a roughly re representative version of the jazz play a roughly representative version of the, of the, of the jazz. Did I say jazz right. twice? Jazz versus Mavs. The Christmas Day game, not only was there no Luca, <coughs> excuse me, um, not only was there no Luca, but there was no Bullock, DFS, Maxi Kleba. Of course, yeah. this was still there. It was just a very different version of the Mavs. Um, the the most recent game, the Jazz were without Rudy. They were without Bogey. They were without House. They were without Whiteside. Um, so I, I I don't I don't know how I guess, but I guess I'm I guess I'm. I don't know. You tell me. I'm just not 100% sure 
that it matters unless we start to get really granular and, and pulling it apart from like okay who was playing on both ends but but tell me what you found because i i really don't know how to guess on that okay so really high level my first answer to that would be we're talking about 10 minutes a game so That's even too. even if you know the bigger puzzle to solve is what to do in the 38 minutes a game not the 10 but you're right you don't want to then give up something in the 10 so that but that is the first thing that i looked at and and uh i assumed that i was going to find something a little different i assumed it was going to his minutes out were going to be a little more bench heavy well they are bench heavy but but the way the jazz play that means you have a couple of guys in who are not bench guys um because you've got Gobert and usually conley back on the field on the on the court so right. Um, I focused mostly, and this was because of an error until we just started talking, I focused mainly on game three. So that was the March 7th game in Dallas. And then while we started talking, like when we're already recording, this is how great my prep was. I realized that the February 25th game was post-trade. In my head, it was not. Not, not because I didn't know February 25th was post-trade. I just thought that game was played a little earlier. So. Okay. So you're right. There were two games. There were two, roughly speaking, meaningful games. Right. Right. Um, So. Do I have you? Yes. Okay. There was just a lot of noise in there for a second. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I wasn't sure I had you. Okay. So. Game three, and then I'll try to like add a little game two context on the on the fly as we go. Game three, not to, I know there are a few fans out there who do not want to hear the e word excuses, but I'm talking about this as a fact. It's a factor. It was the fifth and final game of a road trip. Jazz were on a Sega Baba second game of a back to back. I know you know what that means, but just in case somebody listening doesn't, Mavs were on one day rest but they had also been just home in Dallas for six nights. Although they, you know, they played a couple of games in that time period while the jazz had been shooting all across creation playing, you know, four other games. And then this was the fifth jazz did have a full rotation. The Mavs had a full rotation, except for uh, they were missing Jalen Brunson in that game. Jazz had a really solid game from the players who matter or well, for most of the rotation, they had four rotation players shoot over 60%. Clarkson shot 50%. If you stopped right there, I would assume the Jazz won the game. Hmm. But the backcourt really struggled. Don was five out of 19. Mike was one out of seven. And Forrest was 0 for three. Jazz lose. Um, like I said, Dallas pretty much had their matchup. So let's go to the Luca thing. Luke, they were, they were, the, uh, Dallas won the game by eight points. They were plus five when Luca was on the court. That means they were plus three when he sat 10 minutes, 10 minutes and 16 seconds to be exact. So I'm not going to lose a whole lot of sleep and I'm certainly not going to say they killed the jazz when Luca was sitting. It was a three point difference. Um, Obviously they won, but they certainly didn't kill. It was a one possession game for those 10 minutes. Um, You wouldn't want to duplicate that, but you're, but also I think the Mavericks would have a hard time, duplicating that level of game play over a 48 minute period. If they're playing a full game without Luca and we'll, we'll see if they are, cause we don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, the, probably the bigger factor in that particular game. And again, small sample size theater, when you're talking about one game sample, uh, Powell was a minus five in his 21 minutes. Kleber was a plus 16. So they really, he was much more effective probably pulling big men out is my guess i have not gone back and watched that game and i probably won't at this point because taxes <laughs> taxes and playoffs are not mixing well um but yeah it was a it, that that was a factor more than the non-luca minutes it was the the powell and cleaver probably like i said cleaver's probably pulling the bigs out whether that was gobert or Whiteside, and and making that a little more difficult to defend but again i haven't watched it any yeah. any thoughts from all of that in game three well, I do think um, I do think the Kleba thing is really interesting because um, you know people th- people think about the Mavs as having gotten smaller with the Porzingis trade, and from a sheer you know measurement standpoint, they did. But I think they actually got less equipped to play 
small ball in in the way that we usually describe small ball like Dwight Powell is a smaller guy as a five yeah. but he does but he plays a traditional five man he, you know he doesn't shoot outside shots a lot of them anyway um he he's he's mostly a dive big right so really their answer to play legit small ball to play five out basketball is Kleba. Um, they technically they could do it with Bertans, but they haven't yet in the regular season. We really never saw Bertans play for the Mavs unless one of Powell or Kleba was next to him. Um, so, so yeah, like really a lot of it comes down, you know, when we talk about the jazz and this supposed weakness they have against, against small teams that can pull Rudy Gobert out of the paint. And I do think I, I say, suppose I don't say supposed to be cheeky. Like obviously there's something to it, um, but I think it's mostly going to be a Kleba thing. And what's interesting about that is Kleba is just really, really struggling right now. Like he, his shooting splits since the start of March are 32, 20 and 56. Like he has been off in a bad way. Um, he's dealt with some help. Yeah. And, and go ahead. He's, he's, he's missed the last four games. And yeah. while I think we're a little, we, if I was putting a number on it, we're, we, we think his percentage of probably playing is a little higher than what we know about Luca, but, but we don't know for sure that he's even going to play game one and, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's exactly it. There's, there's been health stuff there. He's been in and out of, in and out of the lineup. Um, if, if he's not that effective or, or not playing, then I don't know that the Jazz are facing a team that's going to test them in those small ball ways. I mean, Powell will do some of that. Dwight Powell will do some of that. He's 6'10", but he, again, he doesn't. Let me let me look. I, I have their stats up. Um, yeah, he shoots, he shoots a three-pointer every other game. He averages half a three-point shot per game. Yeah. Um, and doesn't make it particularly high. I mean, he makes 35%, which is plenty good if you just need a big to force guys into respecting you but you know like other than that the centers on this on this Mavericks roster are Boban Marjanovic, Marquise Chris um again they can try Bertans they they really haven't yet put him center for any meaningful amount of time um they and then I mean there are other configurations right like Dorian Finney-Smith at five has actually been like a pre, a marginally successful look for them, but in tiny, tiny, tiny sample sizes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I realize you, you gave me a whole lot to react to and I'm just zeroing in on this Kleba thing, but I, I do think that that's going to be interesting and like a sneaky big factor in how this series plays in, in the degree to which this series becomes about the things that the Clippers series last year was about, which is specifically like, not can Rudy Gobert guard on the perimeter, but if he's out on the perimeter, do the rest of the Jazz defenders just continually crap the bed because there's nobody back there to to protect them when they get beat? Right. So the other thing I was going to point out against, one, one of my questions to myself when I started looking at this was, so if during these non-Luca minutes, who's out there, who's who's kind of responsible for that? So in the in that game three, again, March 7th, if anybody wants to look at this, uh, looking at popcorn machine, it was basically for most of that time, it was Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gay, uh, Daniel House, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley. So you've got your your two anchors who are starters, Gobert and, and Conley. And then you have House, who was early in his days with the team because he, I mean, he started in January, but then he was kind of off and on with, with COVID and not being on the team in between contracts and all that. So this was a while back and, uh, but it was not, I, I, I had speculated in my head. I wondered if the non-Luka minutes were some Hassan Whiteside minutes. They were not. And it was the same in the second half, the same group. So in the first half, they were minus eight against the non-Luka minutes. And in the second half, they were plus five. So they kind of evened out to that. Like I said, plus three overall. Say it, Ken, say it. Say what? Who were who they, who were the Mavs playing against in those minutes? Come on, say it. I know you want to. I they're playing what... against the quarter breakers. Come on. Oh, that's the quarter your, breakers. Come on. You're trying so hard to make quarter breakers Dang happen. It. And I you just, just completely missed an opportunity. Oh man. We'll have to, we'll have to reshoot this whole sequence. <clears throat> oh wait, we're not filming. We're just recording. Yeah. I really dropped. Really. I've kind of given up, 
but uh, yeah, if you, yeah, you brought it up though. Yeah. The quarter breakers, the quarter, the, the new and improved maybe quarter breakers, not no longer including Joe Ingles. We could do a whole podcast on things that Ken and Dan have tried to make stick. <laughs> what was your name? Oh, the zippers. The zippers was your oh, nickname for the, for the 2000, the, the 2000 to 2009 decade. Right. Yeah. Some I never people liked called the, them the aughts. And, and Ken wanted the zippers really bad. Um, alas, alas. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting if, if Luca does play, obviously, you know, the, the questions are different. Um, I don't think the questions become unsolvable, right? The jazz had pretty good success against, against Luca when they were healthy. Um, now in fairness, there was a game where down the stretch, it really became about Gobert's ability to bottle up Luca on switches um, in the clutch of the February 25th game. And then in the March 7th game, it was really down the stretch about those same things, but in the other direction, it was about Luca's ability to just get a shot over him anyway. Um, Now they were mostly step backs and like the kind of shots that the jazz would like to concede. But you know, the point is that, Luca's in Luca's in the NBA. Luca's doing what he he's a superstar precisely because he makes that shot, right? He's he's really good at step backs and at kind of dictating where and when he gets his shot. So he's not a guy that you can just say, um, oh hey, it was a step back, so we're gonna live with that. And if and if I have one beef about Rudy guarding in space, it's that um I think he and Quinn Snyder sort of have this philosophy that like, hey, I don't have to really stay up on guys because I can close that gap at the last second with my nine, seven standing reach. That's a tough closeout to shoot over, even if I'm not really jumping or, or contesting from close. And I think that if you were to look at, you know, what he allows on pull-ups specifically, not just with Luca, but with the Chris Paul's and Kyle Lowry's and all those guys who are kind of good about, about, um, you know, getting into Gobert a little and then backing up to a shot. I'm not sure that that is, um, I'm not sure that mathematically that holds up. So that's going to be a key in this series if Luca plays. But again, no, nobody knows. And I, I know. I, I was just here. thinking. I was just thinking. We just switched just on the fly from Luca, assuming Luca is not playing, or what happens when Luca is not playing, to what happens if Luca is playing, and that's got to kind of demonstrate the the a little bit the difficulty that the team is going to be having to prepare for two different things. I mean, I don't think it's, it's not rocket science. It's not like it's um, they're, they're NBA players. They play against these things all the time, but they're, they are having to prepare for two different things. They, they're, they're having to prepare for two different things anyway, but they're having to prepare for a lot steadier diet of one thing. If Luca's not playing. Hey, it was a big deal to some players to suddenly have 40 minutes to adjust their whole game plan when Gobert didn't play in the most recent matchup. Yeah. So <laughs> I say that kind of tongue in cheekly. Um, no, I say that like full on tongue in cheekly. I'm being, I'm actually being pretty catty right now, but <laughs> yeah, the point is, um, yeah, it does matter. It does matter if, if you spend, and, and like you said, I'm sure the jazz aren't spending the week planning one way or the other way. I'm sure that they're, that they're covering their bases, but it does make a big difference when your whole game plan. It's, it's why, you know, I say this a lot when the jazz, you know, face one of those teams, like, you know, whatever, like insert a crappy, like OKC without Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? Like you go, Oh man, that's like practically not an NBA team. The jazz should win that by 50. But then the reality is like, who on earth has a scouting report for how the OKC Thunder are going to play without Shea Gilgis Alexander and without right. all those other guys. So um, I do think game planning becomes a bit more challenging, but also like, you know, Luca's really good. So if he doesn't play, I'm not sure that the jazz can claim that as a disadvantage. It's just, it's, it's going to be an, it's going to be um, a different kind of game on Saturday. If, if number 77 isn't in the lineup. Yeah. Two things I was just going to quickly add on on when you're talking about the the Gobert versus Luca matchup, that's going to be one of the interesting things that to see right off the bat in whenever we see Luca play, whether that's game one, game two, or or on down the line. Um, but we is just you know how easily are they going to concede after seeing the results in in 
on February 25th and on March 7th kind of go in the opposite direction. How quick, how easily are the Jazz going to concede that switch onto with Gobert on DeLuca? And then the second thing is that's also going to work into the lineups is how much of a role is Hassan Whiteside going to have in this series? I mean, in theory, you want to keep him out there because they like to play the same way and because the small, the Jazz small ball lineups have been so bad. But there, there isn't going to be, you know, there, there's going to be a temptation to go smaller when you've just got Dwight Powell for 20 to 25 minutes, Maxi Kleba, if he goes, and if he doesn't, then, you know, again, you're going to be, you're going to have this temptation to go to Rudy Gay, to go to um, maybe Hernan Gomez. I don't know. I just can't see, I can't imagine Eric Pascal getting a lot of play in this series, but, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I can't imagine we see a lot of Pascal fans no. love him. Um, I know. He doesn't, he doesn't, he often isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing on defense and coaches no. have a hard time trusting, trusting that. So, um, but what I would say about that is the Rudy Gay thing fascinates me um, partially for this series and partially because if the Jazz are going to be competitive at all after this series, I think that Gay's going to have to be, he's going to have to play a bigger role. And I think there is a perception out there that gay has just sucked ever since that day, that debut game that he went for 20. And I don't think that's accurate. I think if you look at his first, um, well here, I have it here. If you look at his first 24 games with the jazz, he averaged 9.3 points, 4.6 rebounds, 577 true shooting, which is like right at, or just barely above league average. But if but if you got a guy off your bench who is, you know, like that's fine. You'll take yeah. slightly above average in your eighth man spot or your ninth man spot. Um, he made thirty eight percent on his threes during that almost two month period, which is you know enough to give the Jazz's bench offense an important pressure release valve. Um, and he, and importantly, he played winning minutes. The Jazz were plus twelve point five per hundred possessions um, in those twenty four games. Then what happened? Then he got hurt. Right. Yeah. Um, then he started missing. He, he started missing it. He missed a game. He played sparingly in the next. Then he missed two, played two, missed another, um, struggled through a bunch of January games where nobody was playing like like where his role was different because, oh, yeah, you're playing, but you're not playing next to Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So your job is very different. Um, and then and then, yeah, his his stats really tanked from from that point. flexibility I, I don't think Aaron Gomez is someone who you can you know ask to guard a certain type of four or five that you need so I, I think um, you know again I just I'm, I'm curious I'm curious about gay I'm curious to see if he's one of those you know quote-unquote secret weapons that maybe they're about to unleash yeah I think uh, I think too um, the, the, the white side question intrigues me to kind of change, go back to that because you're going to want to keep him involved because if you are able to advance, you're going to need a Hassan white side against the suns. So. Sarah Todd was talking about how, you know, a lot of, a lot of jazz players um, have been talking about how, um, a lot of jazz players have been talking about how there is, um, I don't know if that makes my sound any better, Ken, but like, uh, a 
about how there's kind of another level they can unlock. Bogey sounded really confident. And um, someone today told Zeratod that there are weapons. Here it is. Here it is. Bogey today said, there are weapons we've been saving for the playoffs. Okay, so on a scale of like, oh, there's a lineup that we haven't shown publicly a lot, but we're going to go to it. To all the way to like Rudy Gobert is going to be taking pull up threes in transition. Like, <laughs> let's get wild here. What what are some possible wrinkles or secret weapons that the Jazz are going to bring to this series, or or you know bring to the playoffs? It might not happen in the series. They might not need to to pull out their ace in the hole and move on to four to seven games. But um, what do you got? What do you, let, let's let's theorize. Let's get wacky. Well, I think the most the the Biggest likelihood, I'll steal the one you just talked about. Uh, Maybe more of a focus from time to time on Rudy Gay. He's somebody who's got some ability. He's got talent to spare. Obviously, he's a little older, but that's why you probably saved him a little bit throughout the year. You didn't want to put a big burden on him. But if you can ramp him up a little bit and maybe get some different types of looks out of him. The one thing that, you know, didn't work throughout the season, he, he was often a little too eager to fire off that you know, uh, like 45 degree angle, three pointer. Um, I didn't look up his stats on specifically that, that area for threes, but I can't imagine it was great after that opening night or, you know, his debut night. But if you can get, find some ways to unlock him a little more and, and, and focus on him where it seems like most of his shots came out of, um, just mo just motion offense type stuff. The ball kicked back out to him and he fired that off, whether, whether it was a great shot in every case or not. But I wonder if there's an opportunity to look for him to deliberately get a few more touches and a few more shots each game. saying I don't I've never had a problem with one of his threes but um, you know I, I think he's a player who maybe you can maybe give them some different things that they haven't really had um, at, at a size that like because even bogey I mean bogey is, is big but bogey doesn't play big so if suddenly you had a guy like Rudy Gay uh, who can see over the defense and do some of those things if you had him a little you know like a 10% more unleashed as a creator I think does some interesting things that letting Bogey create or letting Clarkson create or letting Don do more things doesn't necessarily do with the size. Um, I also wonder, lineup-wise, you know, I'm not alone in this. A lot of people have commented on this, but, like, I, I think there has to be a conversation at some point about relying more on House and less on Royce O'Neal in certain situations. Well, I th- I think I don't I don't recall exactly how many games in a row, but I think we have kind of seen that the last two or three. And of course, the final game was was um, was a whole different ball of wax in Portland. Um, was it? So maybe it was two games where we did kind of see Royce get subbed back in a little earlier in the fourth than he used to, and coming back to house to close, which I'm totally in favor of. Um, hopefully this five days also gives Royce some rest because I do think some of his stuff that we see every year with him is the wearing down over the 82 plus game schedule, the, the, uh, physical ability. Um, so that, so the rest should help, but also I just think closing has gone better in two or three, uh, occasions with house over Royce. So I, I would certainly think that's in 
Quinn's quiver. I mean, he's demonstrated that it is. Uh, that was also uh, February 27th at Phoenix that uh, he did the same thing. Royce subbed out with 11 minutes or subbed back in with 11 minutes left, which was weird, but that's because he went back to house to close. So hopefully we see more of that, at least as needed. Hopefully, I mean, if we get everything we want, we're we're not getting into crunch time or at least not really deep into crunch time. That'd be lovely too. I don't know. I don't have anything else for you on that. This was a topic that we talked about right as we were about to go live. And I, uh, beyond the gay and, and, and house changes, I just don't see, I mean, just in, in general rotation stuff, this isn't a, this isn't a new weapon, except, that, except in the addition by subtraction way. I mean, I hope that rotation tightens. I hope, you know, we're not going to try to stay committed to 10 to 15 minutes for a Trent Forrest just because he's available. Although we don't know if he's healthy, I guess we'll, We'll find out his prognosis tomorrow. Um, but, you know, I think this is playoff time. This is the time when you want to pile the minutes on Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and, and and you know, Jordan Clarkson in the backcourt and probably not go nearly as often to, to a Trent Forrest unless you just need it for, for foul trouble or something like that. Sure, sure. Yes. Someone said, um, I know I know who it is. Just don't know. I, JS, you know who I'm talking about? JS. Um, oh, be ma- yeah. Be be mad at me that I don't remember your Twitter handle because I know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, was saying today that that he noticed in the Portland game um, some different sets being run by the Jazz, and that he that the based on his basketball chops he felt like the way he was reading those sets is that an option somewhere down in the list of options on on those plays would be a gobert corner three i went back i didn't notice that also i don't know that i was as mentally engaged in watching all the x and o's of what was basically an exhibition game in portland right um but i went back and looked a little bit to see if i could suss out what he was talking about i didn't but again you know maybe there are some um Maybe there are some specific X and O things that Quinn just hasn't wanted to show a lot of in the regular, like for, you know, for example, the jazz used to never do pistol action. So pistol action for those who don't know is it's, it's kind of a semi transition thing where you bring up the ball, but instead of bringing it up the middle, you bring it up the side and there's usually like a two man or three man action, right? at The hash mark. And, um, you know, oftentimes it gets a guard going downhill, or if not, if the defense reacts to that and stops that, then you can have someone kind of flaring out. So a lot like pistol can pistol action can lead to a whole bunch of different things. The jazz used to never run it. I used to complain that the jazz didn't run it. And now all of a sudden they run it all the time. So, you know, maybe it's just one of those types of things where there's something that they've been working on in practice in a specific X and O sense that they just haven't wanted to show because they don't want teams to know, that that's uh, that that's something that they can that they can bust out in in a playoff series, right? No, I'm excited to see whatever you know. I hope it's I hope it's kind of big and kind of obvious. Although I think you made the point, I couldn't hear everything you were saying for a second. But that I that just because they're going to throw some new things in doesn't mean we're going to see everything in game one. Yeah, right. Uh, or in the know. series, right? Like no, right. again, no. if things go the way that. Like I, I have said this, I said this before we knew anything about Luca being potentially hurt or like the jazz are, a, if, if you take out all the psychology, psychological stuff and interpersonal stuff and whatever, I'm still convinced that the jazz are a better basketball team than the Dallas Mavericks. I think the numbers bear me out on that. Um, I think <clears throat> a lot of it's of, of advanced markers say I'm right. Um, record obviously doesn't and record yeah. matters. Um, but I, you know, there's a chance that some of that stuff, they, they leave in the, in the vault until, you know, next to the secret Coke recipe until the second round when they really need it against the Phoenix suns or maybe later if they make it later or whatever. So I don't know. It's, it's fun to speculate about though. Right. I mean, you mean the second round against the new Orleans Pelicans, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 
Not that they're a pushover, honestly, but uh, they having just beaten the Jazz by 34, what was that last month? Um, but no, hey, know. hey, there's a scenario, Ken, where the second round is a very different test than the one we're all talking about. There's a scenario. Oh, th- I know where, that scenario too, but yeah, I don't like that scenario have- as much as the one I brought up. Where the where in order to where the Jazz do get to the second round and it's not Phoenix, but suddenly they're face to face with you know some of those skeletons from their closet um, in the Los Angeles Clippers, which you know hey, bring it on right like if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna make it far into the playoffs at some point you got to do some tough things yeah yeah I don't I don't know as as tough as that would sound from the the skeletons in the closet's perspective I I still don't think that's a tougher ask than the phoenix suns no 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 Um, i just again like psychologically maybe it is but yeah yeah, the phoenix suns are like the phoenix suns are the best team in the nba this year by a pretty wide margin and and they're and they're not they're not unbeatable right um our guy mark russell Pereira has been talking about this for months like like they're head and shoulders above everybody else but they too have their flaws and they too have ways that you can beat them in a seven game series but but yeah, um, f- for the Jazz to face anybody else in the second round, and at this point that only means the Pelicans or the Clippers, um, would be a total gift from the basketball gods, but still just kind of funny to see it come down to that after the way last summer unfolded. Right. No, absolutely. <clears throat> well, um, all right. Before we wrap, a- any other random just... Um, things that you think are going to be important and, and that could swing a game or a couple of games or the series, like some factors that we haven't really dwelt on. You know, we, we, we already talked about the Rudy Gay thing a little bit, which was on my list of just kind of sneaky X factor type things that are, that are bigger than like even calling it an X factor is probably understating it, but just, you know, things that could wind up really mattering in this, in this series, anything else you're, you're looking at or really curious to see how it unfolds in game one. Um, yeah, just because I'm, you know, the travel and logistics guy. Um, I think it, when combined with the, with, you know, what, what happens with Luca's availability, the fact that the Mavericks, only had one night they could play game five. And it really, I mean, it didn't accelerate the schedule for the series that much, but it pushed it forward probably one to two days, game five earlier by one to two days than it would have been otherwise. Um, and that probably also meant they had to go to Saturday instead of Sunday. They, they could Sunday could have been an option for them, but to get all the games in by a Monday, you know, t- uh, what is that? Nine days later, Monday, they had to go Saturday. In fact, I saw a tweet the day that the, that they announced just the game one schedule and it said, Oh, the Mavericks would have preferred to start on Sunday. Well, the Mavericks probably couldn't because their arena was not available for a game five, except for one night. And I think that's going to, that, that, I mean, again, if Luca comes back game one, like, like I saw some Mavs fans speculating, hopefully that, Oh, he's going to be fine. And he's going to come back. And he hurt himself. There was, there was a, there was a clip of him getting hurt last year in the playoffs and he came back the next game and scored, played 46 minutes, scored 48 points, something, something, something. Don't quote me on those stats, but you know, it could happen. Maybe he's not going to miss time or appreciable time, but if he is, this accelerated schedule is going to end up hurting them. And, you know, it's just a byproduct of where we're at with, um, with primarily with the hockey schedule in Dallas is what caused it because they're loaded up with Dallas stars games the week that's the final week of the NHL season, but it's the week that the Mavericks needed some home dates for some playoff games. And they had exactly one, you know, I, the last 12 months have scarred me to the point. Like I used to be the guy who was like, okay, everybody calm down. There's not a conspiracy here. Like everything's on the up and up Um, enough stuff happened last year with health involving the jazz and then through the season, this season and then drama and stuff I've heard, you've heard, everybody's heard like um, that, that at this point, literally nothing would surprise me with the Luca thing. It wouldn't surprise me if like the whole thing was just a fake out so that they could, you know, dupe the jazz into relaxing. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he, 
tore his Achilles and they're being quiet about it just to, um, you know, just to not give the jazz a, a mental edge and, you know, make them waste time. Prepare. Like literally neither of the extremes or anything in between would surprise me at this point, right. which is something. Cause I used to be the guy who was like, no, like just read the injury report. There's not that much intrigue, but you know, sometimes there is. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that is interesting. The compressed schedule and especially the implications on when and how Luca might come back and, and how he will look right. If, you know, he has to come back and play four games and whatever that is nine days um, could, could really impact this series. Um, other things I'm kind of interested in. We talked about gay. We talked about Kleba. Um, I'm interested to see what happens um, to Jordan Clarkson in the playoffs. He hasn't really been a winning player in the last couple of playoffs. He's had nice games, but just on the aggregate, um, He's been someone that teams have have identified and targeted on defense. He's also been someone that teams will let freestyle on offense. And um, I actually really like what Clarkson is doing with his shot diet right now. And we'll see if that holds up into the postseason. Right. Um, I'm curious about some Quinn Snyder related stuff. I was commenting on this to you, Ken. Like, you know, Quinn is a brilliant guy and he and he, he makes data-driven decisions about game plans. And sometimes I feel like he's right to death. Um, <laughs> like he just, he, and, and, and by the way, like, again, I know I'm the guy who usually tells people to shut up with the whole Quinn doesn't make adjustments narrative. That's, that's like, that's demonstrably bull crap. Like Quinn makes adjustments all the time. Every time out Qu coaches don't call timeouts in this league to like give Gipper speeches. They just don't. If a coach calls a timeout, it's because they're going to change something tactical that's happening on the court. They might yeah. also like remind you, Hey guys, we got to cover the, the defensive glass. We got to get back in transition. We, like they might remind you about stuff, but they're not just calling that timeout to like give you an inspirational Ted Lasso speech. Those are tactical moments where they are changing things about the game plan on either end. So um, he does make adjustments, but I just, you know, we've seen times in the playoffs where he has stuck to a scheme that makes great sense on paper. Um, and then the other team starts to figure it out and figure out how to get good shots anyway. And Quinn kind of stands there with his spreadsheet going like, no, this is, but this is supposed to yeah. work. And right. um, so that's, this will be an interesting playoffs for Quinn. And I'm, and I'm like as pro Quinn as they come, I'm not someone who criticizes him or, or thinks he's on any kind of hot seat at all. But um, no. I just, I'm going to be watching kind of whether some of the schemes start to feel like Quinn is outsmarting himself again. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> sorry, frog in my throat. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think the hot seat claims are, the hot seat claims are like all this junk we're seeing today. There was another Kevin O'Connor piece about whether the Jazz should trade Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell. It's like, can we finish the season first? Um, I replied to somebody who retweeted it and said, we've got 10 teams that have been done since Monday morning. Two more teams joined them last night. Plus we have two series to speculate on and six known series to analyze what's going to happen. Why are we spending our time talking about offseason moves for a team that is still going, still going bizarre. to play at least, at least 192 minutes of basketball even if they get swept 04 and and then go home. So I'll get off my soapbox now. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think it's I think it's bizarre. It's it's bizarre for fans to do it. And you know, I know people get upset when people start talking about how to fan. I just that's not that's not the way I like to approach fandom. I like to sort of go in expecting that the guys are going to make interesting things happen and make this a memorable, a memorable run. But, but beyond the fan thing, like it just feels irresponsible for the media to be jumping to all of those off season, big questions when like they haven't played a minute of postseason. So, you know, right. whatever, we'll, we'll see how it comes. No. Out. I know. Like I said, you got 12 teams that are done. You got 18 teams that are still in the mix to varying degrees you got a lot of storylines. You really don't need to, 
you don't you don't need to do a post mortem on a guy that's still alive. And or and I love and like I love Kevin O'Connor's stuff. I love yeah. Kevin. He'd be like if he spent that time like doing a look at like why Rudy was able to stop Luca in the fourth quarter on February 26th and why Luca was able to get back at him and, you know, push back against that on March 7th. Like that would be fascinating. Wouldn't that be a much better use of our time on April 14th um, than like speculating about something that is like three months away at minimum or, you know, two and a half months away at minimum. So it just, it just is weird. I get, let me put it this way. And I've said this to, our friend Laird, I've said this to a lot of people, like, I guarantee you the Jazz aren't going to make a franchise-altering trade in the next two weeks. So we might as well just focus on the basketball. We might as well. Yeah. And that's what I'm planning to focus on um, when I take little mini breaks from doing taxes over the next, <laughs> what, one, two, three, four, what, 96 40. hours, yeah. I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that felt like you putting a button on it. Was that a button? That was a good button. That's... <laughs> That's as they call it in the business. Yes. Um, well, all right. We'll we'll free you up to do more taxes um, and and work through yours and mom's so that <clears throat> you have less on your plate when I inevitably call you for help in a day or two. Um, but yeah, this will be this will be a fascinating series. As Aaron Ficklin just wrote for Salt City Hoops today, it is definitely a high stakes moment for the Utah Jazz. Um, what happens in the next couple of weeks is going to be consequential for sure, one way or the other. Um, it's going to change the way the Jazz think about their roster moving forward. It could change the way they think about certain guys and how core to the future they are, how core to, to a potential championship run they are. Yeah. Um, it's going to change the way that possibly their coach thinks about the situation here and his ability to meet his career goals and aspirations in this, in this job. So there's a whole lot going on. Um, it, it starts on the basketball court and, and depending on how it plays out on the basketball court, we'll have a whole lot more else to say about all that. And so will a lot of other people who make those decisions. Anything else to say, Ken, before we wrap this up? No, I think, uh, I think I got it all out of my system. <clears throat> Now I'll get back on Twitter and I'll find a whole bunch of other notes and they'll just have to, you know, they'll, they'll go in a file for next week or next month or never. All right. Or we'll jump right back on. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? All right, folks. Thanks for listening. This has been a Salt City Hoops podcast. That over there is Ken Clayton. I'm Dan Clayton. We thank you for listening. We'll have much more for you at saltcityhoops.com throughout the playoffs. Thanks for listening. 